0: You know, it must be obvious to even the most casual observers that I get the answers to life's difficult questions from the screaming voices in my head. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you Eric Kramer. Hi everybody TGIF indeed. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour if our luck holds up. And of course if we stay on the good side of bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny how are you today sir? Doing fairly well. Got a little extra oxygen here up in the booth. Uh, Doing my thing. Trying to stay safe as always. Now, the oxygen component of your day is due to the continuing smoke billowing in from the wildfires that threaten the West. You
1: are correct, sir. Yes, yes. I right. would say
0: they're not just threatening the West. I, mean, <laughs> I do not mean to trivialize in any way. No, they're not just never. threatening the West. They're doing unto the West. And yes. it's a shock to those of yeah. us who track it every day watching TV.
1: Exactly. And uh, I really don't know what else this world or Mother Earth can throw at us. But, you know, bring it on. Seriously, like, can we just like calm down a little bit? Although, I can help you out with that, Gary. Happy belated.
2: Oh, here we go. There
1: you are. <laughs> wow. Change it right up just like that. That's what we do. That's what we do.
0: You know, you, in the, when they were making the movie, thank you very much, Benny. You're much welcome. Appreciated. When they were making the movie Terms of Endearment, that was the year that Shirley MacLaine turned 50. And they had a big party for her. And so uh, I don't know what the circumstances were, but they had the big 50th bash for Shirley MacLaine. All the stars were there. And then they had another, she went someplace else, a location shoot, whatever it was. And they had another big 50th birthday bash. And it was the second for Jack Nicholson, who said to somebody, didn't we already do this? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so anyway, uh, yes, bring it on our Uh, And here again, no one wishes to trivialize. I'm so sick of this phrase. I'm going to have to talk about that with our guest here coming on in just a moment. This idea of thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. How about some intelligent, timely action in place of the thoughts and prayers and maybe the fulfillment of all those good wishes would actually manifest? Mm -hmm. I hope everybody stays safe out there. Today, we are going to be talking to a lady named Bridget Dengel-Gaspard. And she has written a book that challenges people's conception of the notion that you're born a certain way, you can blame it on your parents, and we often do, you can blame it on your circumstances, born on the wrong side of the tracks, but there is a crowd in your head seeking to be heard. There are aspects of your nature. That's been approached by everybody from Freud and Jung to contemporary therapists and cognitive therapists as well who think that a lot of the way we think has to do with the way we behave and thus the results that we get in life. We'll get into all of that and more as this lady joins us here. But first, got to give her her mad props.
3: You know what, Carrie? She has a a short bio, and she has a longer bio in About the Author. And and I'd like to actually do the longer bio today. Which you almost never do. I know. I almost never do it. She is a first-time guest on our show and... All of what's in her long bio is very interesting and really sets the table so we can skip a lot of the questions that we would normally ask her. So I'm going to ask you to read the long bio.
0: I'm going to do it. This this is a rarity from Suzanne Mitchell. Excellent. Happy to do it. Bridget Dengel-Gaspard is a writer, therapist, coach and master facilitator and trainer of voice dialogue who has led professional workshops for the Omega Institute, the New York Open Center, the International Coach Federation, the Expressive Therapy Summit, Conscious Life Expo, New York University, Columbia University School of Social Work, the National Association of Social Workers, the Actors Fund and other organizations. During her career in acting, improvisation, and comedy, she discovered voice dialogue, a powerful technique of communicating and embodying our inner selves developed by doctors Hal and Sidra Stone, who would become her, her mentors. She earned a master's degree in social work from Columbia University, acquiring clinical experience in dialectical behavior therapy, DBT for short, and cognitive behavioral therapy, quite famous, CBT for short. She was an impatient, impatient. yes, you have to get to it quickly with her. <laughs> She's going to get ticked off, especially with this interview. <laughs> we got a break coming up at the bottom of the hour. She was an inpatient social worker at Bellevue Hospital Center and Creedmoor Psychiatric Center. She also worked as a psychotherapist at the New York University Counseling Center. She founded the New York Voice Dialogue Institute and has been certified by multiple organizations for continuing education credits for social workers, mental health practitioners, nurses, body workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, massage therapists, and life coaches. Bridget maintains a private practice in Manhattan, in addition to all of the above, specializing in creativity blocks, life transitions, and being stuck in sight of the finish line. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. Damn you for making me go through that labyrinth, (laughs)
3: Suzanne. But I have the most important question of all. Is she a hockey fan?
0: Oh, well, we'll find out about that here, right here and now. Bridget Dengel-Gaspard, we're delighted to have you with us.
2: I'm so happy to be here. You are both so fun, and Benny, too. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you.
3: Well, we, we watched the Lightning win their uh, division last night for the Stanley Cup. They are playing the New York Islanders. So are you or are you not a hockey fan? I have to admit I'm I'm not in that arena. So it's more okay.
2: not paying attention than not being a fan. I'm not not a fan. Okay, Although I do have clients who like to date hockey players. I guess that's
0: what i can say about hockey Ah, well
3: gary and i really got into hockey after we moved to florida and we're just an hour away from tampa and the tampa bay lightning so we have been following it this year and we're looking forward to the stanley cup which is what's coming up next starting tomorrow but so much for hockey yes that's right (laughs) wildfires inner hockey self you're
2: you're inspiring (laughs) me i do have to say
0: there we go that's um There's so much that we carry around with us every day, Bridget, and I have heard it said many, many years ago by a minister, as a matter of fact, from the platform. She said, we are not aware of that computer program, as it were, be it whatever it may, that runs in the back of our minds no matter what we're doing at any given time. And if we're not aware of it, we can't deal with it properly or set it aside if need be, in order to fulfill what we regard as our mission or purpose in life. Does any of that ring a bell with you?
2: Absolutely. I mean, so thank you for that a wonderful introduction, really highlighting how voice dialogue works, which is that our healthy personality, and I always like to emphasize that, consists of many selves. And if you're not aware, you're going to be in your default selves, we would just say, your primary selves, and you just... You think that's all of you, but you are so much more than that. But without awareness, you just default to whatever it was that was originally reinforced in your house, and that's just sort of who you became, and you self-identify that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you think that's it, that's all of who you are, and there's not more, then that's problematic.
3: Bridget, it's it's so interesting, and I mentioned this right before we came on air That uh, this is the second time we're talking about this topic in the last five weeks. I don't think I knew exactly what the final eighth was about, which is the title of your book, until we started reading it. And it is about healthy, multiple selves. And I I was kind of surprised that this is like becoming a thing. But when Gary read your bio, and he and I were talking earlier in preparation for the show... I said, I'm wondering if it was more her acting or more her education that was her entry point into this idea of multiple selves or multiple subpersonalities, Because I can see as an improv comedian, you're having to put on those other hats and be other people very spontaneously. So was it one or both? What, what was the, the kicker that finally got you into this idea of exploring this more deeply? I, I think the real
2: answer for me is the acting, because my father was a professional actor. So I grew up just knowing you could enter different aspects of yourself, And so that kind of was part of what I just grew up with without even thinking about it. And so depending on the parts he would play, he'd have to be different types of people. So... That is how I just got into it, as kind of not even questioning that that's what life is like. And then I pursued acting myself, and I got into comedy, one, because I just love it, but also because you could have more control. As a professional performer, you go to auditions, and then whether or not you get the part is not up to you, ultimately. And so I love the idea of creating my own work, and that's how I got to writing. And I then discovered improv, which I loved. So with improv, you're right, you you do exercises constantly where you train yourself to be able to spontaneously enter this energy or that energy. And then it was at that time that I randomly, synchronistically, and I know both of you understand that part of living, literally read about voice dialogue in a book by John Bradshaw called Healing the Shame that Binds You, and he discussed varying what I don't like to call alternative, but that's what they were labeled. Techniques, and I read about it, and it electrified me. So I actually chased down the doctors Hal and Sidra Stone to find out who was doing it in New York, how I could learn more, because I knew it was going to be an amazing creativity tool. I just had that sense, and I was right. But as I got training in how to teach people voice dialogue, and I got more and more sessions myself, and got in touch with the depths of my varying selves. I was so blown away by the healing I was witnessing and quickly that that's when I literally changed paths and uh, went back to school. So I got my master's from Columbia in social work in order to get that clinical education to then complement it with all of this wild creative work. But it was being witness to so much healing that I just, it's like, like you were saying at the beginning of the show, it's like my higher purpose just solidified right there.
3: So what does the final eighth mean?
2: So the final eighth is for talented, dedicated, hardworking people that get seven eighths of the way there. And the finish line is right there. They just have the final eighth and they stop and they don't cross it and they feel miserable and they're also confused like what's going on i i i want this goal with every fiber of my being and what i came to find out is that no not every part of you wants what you think you want and for excellent reasons so the parts of you that you label problematic like when you're trying to finish and cross your finish line and there are any number, procrastinator, resistor, confusion, uh, disorganized, they all have legitimate reasons, whatever they are, for not crossing the finish line because it's scary. You're going to be bigger, more exposed. And then in voice dialogue, we talk to that part and we listen with curiosity and respect. We don't try to get the disorganized part to become more organized we listen to that part, and then we literally go to a different part of the room when we do traditional voice dialogue. And then in the center, you can then have a relationship that's direct, back to, be, to talking about awareness, with that part of you. And so from center, you're like, oh, I have this disorganized part. And maybe this part is afraid of a whole bunch of responsibility that will be added to your life when you cross that finish line. And so that's a legitimate fear. And then when I work with clients who are struggling with finish line issues, then we talk about, well, do you have your systems in place that can help you stay organized? Because those selves have utter wisdom. They're not doing it just to be painful. Their painful messages are the way they can get your attention. So the discomfort is literally like a flashlight. Okay, what's going on? And many of us, don't pay attention until the pain level is at a certain point. And that's how I look at the pain of being stuck. It's like, okay, let's look and see what's going on. And that way we can loosen up the knot and pay attention to the wisdom and honor it. Don't dismiss it. Don't double down on working harder. People are amazed when I tell them working harder is not the issue, it's not the solution, and it's not the problem for many people.
0: Yes, that is absolutely true. As I have found out myself many times, I used to complain that uh, working hard, hardly working, all of those things are, are just catchphrases. But I tell people I do not see the value of working hard if the ultimate goal attained is that you show people how hard you can work. There needs to be something that justifies this purposeful activity, and that's why I believe in being goal oriented. Even if I have to be methodical about it, I find that when I have a goal in mind and I can picture it clearly, I not only have a much better chance of achieving the objective, but I also retain clarity of focus and of purpose, which adds up in my mind to living the good life.
2: I love that. Exactly. It's like an alignment. And when those things are aligned, you've got your path.
3: I was um, saying uh, right before we came on air, Bridget, that uh, one of the things that I really like about your book, The Final Eighth, is that it's very much of a workbook. If you are interested in multiple selves, your multiple selves, your inner selves, the selves that drive you, this is a great book because there are exercises in every chapter for you to do. And, you know, one of the first ones is just to uh, list, you know, what what you think all of your different multiple selves are. And even doing that exercise alone, you would find that, you know, there might be one or two pretty strong aspects of yourself, but a lot of other things that contribute. And uh, one of the things that I've talked about before is that uh, I have what Gary and I call the engineer's mind. I will fix a lot of physical problems around the house just by thinking it through like an engineer would. And and I'll jerry-rig something so that it works again without having to go out and buy something new. It's like, oh, well, if I just put a shim here, or if I put an extra screw there, or if I did this or that, and then he and I start laughing because it's like i'm I'm borrowing an engineer's mind from somewhere. And so one thing that you talk about is the selfie report. And that's uh, that must be eye opening for people just to list all the various aspects, uh, all the different selves that are there that help them. Yes?
2: Yeah, it really is. and i I love what you just shared. borrowing the engineer's mind. And that part of you, the engineer part, saves so much time, and it sounds like it saves a lot of money, too. And it's, it's a wonderful exercise because people, again, bringing awareness. And a lot of people are very busy, and so I tell them just bullet point. But notice what selves are operating within you, including the selves you feel but don't express. So let's say someone makes you a little angry, and you can feel your angry self going, you know, tell her off, tell her off, and you choose not to, that would still be on your selfie report because that's a part of you that you felt. And then you made possibly a very wise decision not to tell the person off. But it's really eye-opening. And for some people, I say do it for two different types of days. One, your work day, and then on your weekend day or your day off. Because the other thing is that different parts of ourselves operate in our life arenas differently, or you have maybe some selves at work, and they're just not around uh, at your home uh, when you have the weekend off, and that's okay. And, again, it's about the awareness. But, for example, if you have, like, this amazing, powerful CEO and you're just really amazing at your job at, and as a leader at work, if you can't let go of that self at home with your spouse and your kids, there's going to be problems because those – Loved ones are going to want your intimate selves, your warm and fuzzy and sweet parts. So having the flexibility to choose to, like, drop the CEO and let it stay at the office so you can end up being, you know, beach bum and joyful parent during the weekends is also really effective. And, you know, a side note, marriages are often greatly improved with just that slight shift because the right parts of you are together when you're not working.
0: What was the name of that? And this is a related question. Trust me on this, Bridget. <laughs> what what do, was the name? Actually. of? There was a very popular show hosted by Drew Carey, who was also a full participant and it was based on improv. Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh, yes,
3: okay. yes, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And I watched exactly. it from
0: time to time. Yeah, I I'll love you, that show. I loved it too, and I watched it, except I was on pins and needles because I do have an empathic side there. And I would think, oh, my God, if I put myself in the place of these fine comedians and actors and they've got to make it up right now on the basis of very little information, and then they must create, and they're being televised, and there's a live audience, oh, Ooh. incredible you did it you know whereof i speak bridget yeah. when i when i think about that and here's why i bring it up at all you know that's how millions and millions of people in this world do life whatever is running them in their background they may not and probably in many cases are not even aware of it and yet here's a set of circumstances your boss is mad at you and you find out through a text before dinner, the night before, and tomorrow you've got to go in for an 8 a.m. meeting when work starts at 9 with your boss. Go. <laughs> and now, I mean, oh, Yeah, but, the improv of life. Improv of life. It also reminds me of that very common saying that there is no dress rehearsal in this life. This is it. Yeah,
2: and I think that's really powerful because you know, this is it. So, for example, one of the reasons I wrote the book, and I did write it in mind to be like a workbook, so I'm glad you brought that up, Suzanne, because I want people to be able to jump in immediately, because this is it, and if you are stuck, like, so close, but not doing it, and examples abound, the last five pounds you don't lose, you know, People that are ready for their life partner date productively, but then continue to cut it off when it becomes intimate. These can plague people for years and be so painful. And that's like treating life like a dress rehearsal. You want to cross that finish line and see what happens and embrace larger aspects of yourself. And and it is scary. It's just like it is sometimes pins and needles, like you're watching really excellent improv.
3: Bridget the example that you brought up was the example of my life and that was wanting a partner and not wanting a partner and I would meet Mm -hmm. somebody wonderful and date and I would think oh to get married and have children and then I would say no I really don't want to have children maybe they want to have children I don't oh but then I'll lose my independence Oh, but I want somebody to be close to, oh, but then I won't be able to make all my own choices all on my own because I'll have somebody else I need to ask about it. And, and I was that person back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, not getting into an intimate relationship, even though that's what I said I wanted, because there was an equal number of selves that did not want that. I wanted to be my own boss, and I wanted to determine my own life without having another person in there trying to direct it. So I, that, that's a perfect example. And Gary and I met as middle-agers. And so when I got tired of all that back and forth and back and forth stuff, <laughs> Gary and I have now been together 19 years. Well, that's it, <laughs> it.
0: It addresses something that I used to say coming from my cynical side, I admit, I would tell people because they would have, I've been fighting with my girlfriend. Oh, my husband doesn't understand me. Oh, the kids are driving us nuts. We don't know if we can stay together. You name it, whatever the scenario was there. And I would quite cynically say, you know, there are really only two problems associated with intimate relationships in this life. They are being in a relationship or not having one. (laughs) <laughs> and if you can if you can see through to yeah. the heart of that, like a Zen koan of love and romance, then you've got it all figured out. That's all you got to do.
2: Right. That's the that's like a, a the tug of war or the double bind, right? The parts of you that say, "Yeah, I want the relationship," and the other parts are like, "Oh no, we don't. Oh no. Yeah, but it is." a Zen my, yeah.
3: Those were my multiple selves all coming to the fore. And, you know, I I knew some wonderful, wonderful men when I was a younger person. And I feel so sorry for them now because, Mm. you know, I was just running through men thinking, oh, this is the perfect man for me. And then, no, 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 I I don't want to lose, you know, what I have going. I'm not going to give up my job. I don't want to have children. I mean, it was crazy, crazy making stuff with me in relationships uh, for a long long time but you know I guess uh, ultimately I was just supposed to be Gary and that was it I had to do all that other crazy making stuff before that <laughs>
0: I think so and traveling in some powerful business circles too. our first date our first date we had a coffee date and then we went to the a local park there in Seattle and it was a wonderful time between the two of us when we're in the car between the coffee and Arriving at the park, what do you think? How's this for setting up a nearly 20-year romance? Suzanne says to me, you know, I've dated a lot of powerful men, successful businessmen, and I'm attracted to that. And here I find myself strongly (laughs) attracted to you, and I don't know why.
2: (laughs) Wow, that's like dropping the gauntlet. So Wow.
0: (laughs) So I just concluded that she decided to try the V8 for a change, and she's not slapping her head as a result.
2: Wow. Well, I love what seems to be just such honesty between the two of you. I think a lot of people are very scared to do that, and it, I hearing about it, I love what you just shared, but also I'm really impressed that both of you were honest about where you were at that time, but neither of you ran away, and then look what you have.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been well, a great adventure. Well, we both have said that we had to do some personal growing before we met each other because we have agreed many times that we have never we would have never been attracted to one another before the time that we met because we each had issues and you know, the old saying is you got to love yourself before you can love somebody else. And yeah. we both had to go through those dark nights of the soul to get to a place where we were willing to have somebody else in our lives.
0: That's worth picking up on when we come back, too, with Bridget, because there's just so there's much. There's also,
3: I want to get into your
0: hidden self. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. This. This is an essential book. It's a, if you I hold it end on end and I see a thin volume, but there is oh, so it's packed. much in here. It has the ability to change your life. And yep. it starts with appreciating yourself, but also changing your perceptual world. Yep. And that's something that has been accomplished, in my opinion, quite eloquently with the final eighth Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. Bridget Dengel Gaspard is our guest. We can't wait to get back and have her tell more about the book and about how you can get in touch with her when we do our so-called marketing piece after a two-minute break. We are Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to Seattle's Home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.
1: Staying connected with Gary Manson and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to MansonMitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests.
0: Here's an amazing act, here's a tremendous act, here's a startling act, the amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act.
1: The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM, or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry@terryloving.com. That's terry@terryloving.com.
2: at What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm,
1: let's see... Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful, and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there, just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish, They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean.
2: Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the
3: world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come visit worldwildlife.org. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Bridget Dengel-Gaspard to talk about her book, The Final Eighth. How can we use our inner selves to complete unfinished goals and gain mastery in accomplishing anything?
0: On Saturday, Michael Bogart dispenses his wisdom in this Encore presentation from earlier this year.
3: Bringing you mastery and mystery, one hour at a time since 2007.
0: We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day.
3: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our debut guest this hour, Bridget Dengel-Gaspard. Thank you, The Birds, for Eight Miles High. We're talking about The Final Eighth, Bridget's new book. Bridget, if people want to connect with you on your website or get your book or whatever, social media, please let our listeners know how they can do that.
2: You can go to my website, The Final Eighth, that's final and then eight, the number eight, com, and or put in my name, Bridget Dangle Gaspard, because I'm on all the social media, and or the word voice dialogue and you should find me and please feel free to connect with me and I will absolutely get back to you I'm very excited about sharing how getting your inner selves activated can change your life
0: very good thank you excellent Bridget uh, let's talk about people who went to Columbia (laughs) of which I am (laughs) not one (laughs) and uh You went to Columbia, and bless you for putting in all that you had to do to get that great education, Ivy League education. There's someone you mentioned whom I admire greatly. He's one of my psychotherapeutic heroes, and I also consider him to be one of the great modern Stoics, which I think he would have claimed in his lifetime, and that is the late great Albert Ellis. Albert Mm. Ellis founder of rational emotive behavior therapy, progenitor to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and a friend of the inventor of that modality, Aaron Beck. Dr. Ellis got his PhD at Columbia. I think he got his master's there as well. What was interesting about him, and I think there's a life lesson in this for all of us, he writes about it in one of his books. He had a faculty advisor at Columbia who was putting him under the microscope because The tendency of his research was going toward sexuality and sex therapy and an evaluation of one's psychosexuality. At that point, now we're going way back by this time, but when he was at Columbia, he was actively and pointedly discouraged from pursuing sexual topics because, you know, that's not important. And yet here (laughs) at Columbia, there was a female... Uh, Their gender, I guess, only matters in the sense that he regarded her as being a, a, a provincial, perhaps prudish. You know, that's the word I'm using for it there. But she did not want to have anything to do with sex. Don't be talking about a thesis if the subject is sex. No, we're not going to approve of that. And he had to find a way to work around that. And I mention it to you now because I think it's interesting. But also, there are people in this life who seem to have the sworn duty— And they pursue it enthusiastically to keep you from pursuing what is most important to you personally or professionally, saying that you shouldn't do thus and such. And they put that judgment on the very cast of your life as you are seeking to make more of yourself and offer your gifts to the world. That's that's the devil in your shorts when you get up in the morning. People telling you that you can't do it, shouldn't do it, bad idea, and if you did it, you were wrong.
3: Yeah. Is there a question there? No. Oh, okay. good. <laughs> <Just> the <comments.
2: laughs> Well, I, I loved, yes. You know, and the, that is the devil in the pants, and that is a self. And the, I, it's a tragedy, what you just described. And Albert Ellis ended up, like, I agree with you, changing the shape of the world. But... What, the thing is that that's wonderful, but a lot of people don't have the strength or even the means. Like They have this vague awareness like something else is calling them. And the tragedy lies in the parts of you that heard those negative messages, whether they started very early, and many times they do in whatever house someone grows up in, that they internalize these messages. And then these parts of you fundamentally believe it and then operate accordingly. And as in cognitive behavioral therapy, it's like you pick out the data that's going to support your thesis. And if your thesis is nothing works out, then that's just how you're going to basically steer your life, again, unconsciously.
3: You know, you're almost quoting yourself in this book, but this was a quote that Gary and I talked about this morning that we both really, really liked. And this is from page 71 of your book. And that is people have only one or two core negative beliefs, but they affect everything we think and do they're like a black hole in space getting heavier and stronger as it draws in all the matter around it they limit our access to our full range of intelligence and uh, we were really struck by that because you're talking about these multiple personalities and we haven't gotten to the hidden ones yet which we will but with all of your personalities the ones that you can identify the ones that may be hidden underneath all of that are one or two core negative beliefs that affect everything is that what you're saying
2: i am and they're incredibly painful so if you fundamentally believe you're not worthy or you are not or you're unlovable or nothing works out it's devastating so then you end up forming two different sets of selves. We call them primary selves or disowned or hidden selves. So the primary selves often work really hard to make it not true. So let's say you be- believe fundamentally that you're worthless. So then you get these wonderful parts, perfectionists, responsible ones, and they do a ton of work. And their motivating factor, until there's consciousness, is oh my gosh, I'm so terrified that this is true, that I'm worthless, so let me build up a ton of external proof that I have value. And there's lots of great things that happen within that. You get amazing skills, you build a network, and often you really genuinely help the planet. But at a certain point, and this is often where the final aid comes in, you rub up against the other ones that believe it's true. And so then could be your inner critic, your skeptic, your pessimist, they'll hunker down, especially when you're about to cross the finish line. Because in terms of your core negative beliefs, like say nothing works out, if you cross the finish line, it'll be like, wait, inside, inside, very disorienting. How can nothing work out when I just had something work out? And those selves are actually practicing a distorted loyalty to those early negative messages, and they make it come true. Because if you're told as a child that things don't work out, or you're worthless, or successes for other people, but not you, or not us, then those parts are like, they halt you. And it's unconscious, but it's got a gravitational pull, because they're, they're Stop people cold, and that's what's happening underneath. It's like it, it, it can't be that all is love if I'm unlovable, and you, you up, are up against changing the truth of your story, and that's where I really hope my book is helpful and pragmatically so. So people say, okay, let me use this book to find out which parts of myself are involved here, and then I can educate them. I can say it's true that you believed that you were worthless, but it was never true that you were worthless. And that is so liberating and transformational. Um, it's, I can, you know, it, it's just what makes me so happy to do this work, to liberate people from these core negative belief jails. Literally, it's an inside right. job. They're their own inner jailer attached to these core negative
3: beliefs. Well, living, living in conflict is yourselves living in conflict, some of yourselves working against others of yourselves. I was talking about this with Gary this morning, and I, I said to him, uh, I said, let me give you an example. And I said, let's let's say that that one of your primary selves is a perfect mother. You uh, mm. you know you you do all you can for your spouse, your children, your uh, you keep the house clean, you make the meals, you make sure they get to all their appointments and to school and all of that. And then there's this this other personality. It might be a hidden personality that is like a Cinderella. And the Cinderella says, all I ever do is work and work and work. And I never get to go and have any fun or go to be at the ball. And I said, so that's like the perfect mother is like what you lead with. Everybody recognizes you're this perfect mother. But then this hidden personality is like this Cinderella who feels like all she ever does is work and never has any fun. But the underlying belief for both of those personalities could be something like, I don't deserve to have any fun. Exactly and so, right. And, and that's what drives both the primary personality and the hidden one. And that, those core beliefs are very, very insidious when they are affecting both your positive selves and your negative selves, your hidden selves. That's That is really kind of scary stuff. And to be able to mine that out um, is yeah. is a lot of what you talk about dialoguing with those selves. You know, bring them out. You know, identify who they are. Bring them out. Put them in a chair and let them talk. Uh, you must have heard some really wild conversations from people who have allowed their hidden selves to actually say something in uh, in coaching or in therapy.
2: Absolutely, and. A lot of the time, especially when we're doing it at the beginning, a lot of the communication is pure emotions. It might be grief or sadness or rage. So the other thing about voice dialogue is the dialogue is not just words. And, again, it's so liberating because the other part is – a couple twofold one is like that perfect mother she gets so much positive reinforcement by everybody in the world everyone loves her so then that's a lot of pressure and also it keeps it going so then the cinderella when she comes out not it's hard for the person like oh it uh, it almost feels when the hidden self comes out say like the cinderella that's resentful um you like, oh, my gosh, that's not me. That's that's one way you know that it's a hidden self. You yourself feel like that's not you, but it is you because you did it. And so then you don't like this inner Cinderella yourself, and part of our work is like, yes, this is your inner Cinderella who is holding part of your story, and now you can treat your Cinderella differently than however it was you were taught by your parents, by your teachers, to, te- to treat your Cinderella. So then you get to... Embrace your Cinderella for the part that she holds. And everybody's Cinderella is slightly different. So I always say things like, well, when you say Cinderella, what do you mean? I know what I think of. And that's a big part of voice dialogue and why you let the self itself tell you, because there's always surprises, always. And I've been at this, my first session that I ever got was in 1995, and I'm still surprised as recently as last night when I led a workshop it's so um, enlivening, and the other, the other part I want to say is, and I love your example, you get to find out you have the um, the 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 godmother, the fairy godmother in you. So you're also not stuck with just the perfect mom and that Cinderella. Then in the process, you're like, wait, do I have a fairy godmother? Yes, you do. Let's go to that. And Jung would call that going to your golden shadow. So these are parts of you that you may have repressed, but in fact they're filled with your gift. They may be your visionaries, your optimists, the ones that were kind of accused of being a little kooky or too much. Women still get that, having pain around being told they were too much or too loud or odd. And those are the exact parts that hold the true gifts of moving into your fuller story of what you were meant to do, like we were saying earlier.
0: Of what you were meant to do and what you can choose to do to have that great yeah. freedom. And you're also free to change your mind too. A lot of people go through these midlife changes and I this was years ago, it may be even more true today, but I've heard that people will go through five changes of career, not jobs within a career, Five changes of career in a lifetime that's pretty mind-boggling but it, it does speak to this idea that we can reinvent ourselves and in fact many of us are doing that consciously or unconsciously because life keeps coming at us you remind me of these things bridget with your book the final eighth because if I'm going if I'm going to finish that final eighth that's going to have to happen consciously or life simply happened to me while I was, what did John Lennon say, busy making other plans.
2: Mm. Yeah, and you're saying that makes me, of course, think right away about COVID and the fires and the floods and social justice movements that a single person can't control any of that. And what was once required may no longer be the thing that makes you succeed, including people who live in flood zones or anything like that. And so the more flexibility and awareness you have that I have different selves... And because the world is literally, I think, actively shifting and going to demand that people lead with different parts of themselves. And I think that's exciting. And if you're conscious and cultivate what would be excellent for you and out into the world, i love – my optimist wants us to come out through to the better side of this and, and have it just really be a much more equitable and less polluted globe.
3: Yes. Yes. You know, when, when we start, it's been six months since we started sheltering in place. And, um, you know, before that time, Gary and I would go to the store for a single item. I would run out and say, I'm going to, you know, just run to this grocery store. I'll get some cream and I'll be back. And, uh, and it was like that. And then all of a sudden We found ourselves with little project lists, uh, stacks of books, other things to do. What can we do and not go out? What's the least amount we could go out? Well, we we found out that we could stay home for two, sometimes even three weeks at a time without having to go out if we planned our our shopping carefully and, and made it last. And that was calling on a very different self. The one that just get up and go whenever you want versus the one who is staying home and, and not going out at the drop of a hat. And what made that so humorous to me was filling the gas tank in March and not having to go to the gas station again until July. I mean, that's wow. just bizarre, you know, to do that, wow. little, that little driving and uh, and so you do find that there are strengths in your other selves other ways of being and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are are going to have a problem that might mean you might find a new strength in a new self that will help you get through a trying time and and i and like that idea it, like you said one of the one of the last things of your book that I just found purely amazing and have never thought of was, what if you succeed? <laughs> <laughs> Gary you, Gary used to um, MC a talent show every year at church in Seattle, and he was magnificent and he worked so hard on it and all of these acts and all of these people coming up. But invariably, when the entire program was over, round of applause, rounds and rounds of of ovations, there was this letdown. the next day. He was down in the dumps the next day and he had a marvelous success the night before. You address that in your book. So I wanted you to talk about what happens when you succeed.
2: Because exactly, the final eighth issue might be because you've succeeded beyond your wildest dreams, and now you're at a first eighth, those of us that are lucky to keep going. And that's a perfect description. I call that the postpartum depression. You've birthed this amazing thing, and if you're prepared for it, because it's it's letting go, it is a sadness, because it was so much fun, and often because people have this idea about success, they don't understand that even the most amazing success will include a loss. You've given up um, your, your schedule for the day. Like You don't have to call the performers to make sure that they've got their lines or whatever it is. You lose a lot of things once the success has happened. And if you know that, that's practicing safe success i have a whole section to that then you let yourself have that and also then you think about all right well what do i want to do next and people get um very confused so i'm really glad you brought that up that it's not sometimes you're at the final eighth because you've succeeded and you you were not sure what to do next and that these are success issues and When I worked with people, that's how the final eighth came to me in the first place. I suddenly realized it was a thing, and across the board, not just people in creative fields, lawyers, bankers, it's when the universe said yes, and that's when it was so clear. One person in particular had written all of these wonderful plays, and the editor was asking for them. Can you please give them? They were, and we will publish them because it, it hit a particular market niche. And those plays never got in the hand of this editor. And they were terrific plays. Supposedly, this was the goal of my client. And and the yes is what really froze her. So I'm talking about something separate from also having succeeded and then also having that sadness. Like, wow, it's a poignant tenderness, I might say. A
0: poignant tenderness. That's a great way of putting it. After these events that Suzanne described, I remember saying to myself, every time, I would say, it was great to do it. I'm so glad that I did it, and I'm glad that it's over. And then there would be this feeling of, because you put a lot of effort into it. I mean, it was a creative success for all concerned. And then the day after, there is a feeling of letdown. Well, okay, I would call that post-party depression, because it was like a big party. People were loving it, having a great time. And then that... Letdown comes until there's a new project. Okay, let's get back in the game. Let's make something happen. I think that's a lot of the joy of living that you have something to look forward to over which you have some degree of control rather than simply, again, having life happen to you. And at the end of your life, you feel like you lived one day, however many thousands of times over and over again.
2: I agree. I agree. And Often, like something like COVID, people have to then shift to say, okay, what, what can I do now and that I can look forward to? Because if you don't have this, something to look forward to that you get to be involved with, it can be pretty devastating.
0: I'm going to mention the name of the book here again because you can't say it too often. That's what book publicists will tell you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> the final <laughs> eighth. The final eighth number eight in there, the final eighth, and list your inner selves to accomplish your goals. When you set up your sessions here, and we just have a couple of minutes left, uh, voice dialogue, what are the basic, in two minutes, what are the nuts and bolts that people can expect? They go into a room and there's gonna be a couple of chairs, a box of Kleenex maybe, what do they find when they encounter you in your habitat?
2: I love the self in you that said, bring the Kleenex, yes. Well, actually, every third Thursday of the month, I give a free demonstration with my colleague. We demonstrate two basic voice dialogue sessions. So anyone, including you both, you're welcome to contact me, and I'll give you the Zoom info. And right now it's all Zoom because we can't be in person. But, yes, you, you, go, you start in the center, and you can either move your chair over or you go to a different chair, and you talk from that point of view. So let's say it's Bridget. I'm Bridget. So I move over, let's say, to my perfectionist. My perfectionist speaks from the eye, and I like things to be well ironed, and they need to be folded just so, and da-da-da-da-da. And in my book I have a ton of questions you can ask, like what are the early memories, how old is the self, what is the name of the self, what is the energy of the self, where does it live in the body. Then you come back to center, and you've got some separation between you and your perfectionist, and you've learned a lot. Then say you can go to the other side, and let's say it's a slob part. And you never ask the slob part to clean up just a bit. And the slob maybe doesn't even sit, just lies on the floor and takes her socks off and says, oh, my God, I don't care about any of that, and maybe curses a little bit and sneezes without using a tissue. And then you just let that self-speak and you come back to center and then you have a real sense of what each part of you cares about what the slob cares about, and what the perfectionist cares about. And they both care about protecting your vulnerability, but they do it very differently.
3: Bridget, thank you so much for being with us today. What a great conversation and a great book, The Final Eighth, a great workbook to find out about your multiple selves, both the ones you can identify and some hidden ones, and how they can all help you. We would love to dialogue with you one other time, no, you know, again. We're not even half done, Bridget. Yep, more to be talked about. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. All and right. if you would
0: just stay on the line when we go off air, I just wanted to mention something to you. So uh, thank you once again, Bridget Dengel Gaspard. The final eight, enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals. Coming up next...
3: Christine Upchurch, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, and then American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. All of
0: that and more right here on Seattle's Home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Have a great weekend, everyone.
3: The preceding audio was via a
0: Skype call.